Welcome into another edition of the Wisports.net podcast. I'm Travis Wilson, general manager at Wisports.net, and your host for the second WSN podcast of this week. As we earlier this week talked to Mark Miller, our boys' back, uh, basketball expert, talked to him about uh, the boys' basketball season, did a preview of the year with him. And today on the WSN podcast, shortly, we're going to bring in Norbert Durst, our girls' basketball writer at Wisports.net, to do the same thing on the girls' side. Before we get to Norb, though, Let's remind everybody to help save lives on Wisconsin roads. The life you save might just be yours. Make the commitment to yourself and passengers that are with you by buckling up and putting the phone down every trip, every time. To find out more, take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov. Are you looking for an athletic advantage for your athlete or team? B3 Sciences is the answer. Originally limited to only Olympic caliber athletes, it is now available to anyone. Increase vertical leap, quickness, speed, and strength a more effective, efficient, and safer way to get a deeper level of fatigue and more muscle fiber recruitment than many modern workouts. Visit drken.b3sciences.com and take a 30-day no-risk test drive. Technology trusted by the Milwaukee Brewers, Chicago Cubs, LA Clippers, USA Powerlifting Team, Kansas City Chiefs, and more. Well, girls basketball season is in full swing. We are uh, almost a month in, actually, with girls basketball starting uh, games in uh, early November. And so let's get to talking about the upcoming and current girls basketball season with Norbert Durst, our girls basketball writer at Wisports.net. Norb, appreciate you coming on and uh, looking forward to to chatting about and, uh, and, and learning about some of the top girls basketball teams, players, and goings on in girls hoops in the state this year. Yeah, of course. It's always had a uh... Awesome to talk about high school girls basketball across the state. Tons of great teams and talent. All right. Well, we're going to follow a similar format to what we did with Mark earlier uh, this week. And let's start. Uh, you and I had chatted. There there weren't a ton of uh, impactful transfers, and, and we'll get to the, some of those a little bit later in our division and team discussions. But let's talk about top players because, once again, we have some really outstanding talent in the state of Wisconsin, in the senior class, the, the class of 2024, where for the second time in what would it be a couple years, there is a player, a nationally ranked uh, player heading to UConn, Elizabeth, uh, outstanding senior from Nina. Uh, she's obviously the, the top player and, and the one that gets a lot of the attention, but what are some of the other top players specifically that start in the senior class uh, in this class of 2024? Yeah, there's a, a number of other very good uh, players from that class. Uh, you look at uh, McFarland's uh, Tegan Mullaney. She's going to Iowa. Uh, Verona's uh, Taylor Stremlo, uh, point guard. She's also going to Iowa. You know, not something you like to uh, say with all those kids going to Iowa, but that's what it is right now. Also in that class, Kale Peterson uh, from Wapon. She is headed to Marquette. Um, you know, they've already won a state title and are going to try to to get another one this season. Gracie Gresh, who is Wisconsin, uh, committed to Wisconsin, which is good news for the Badgers. Um, she's at Notre Dame, and they're going to try to become the first team in girls basketball state history to win four straight state titles. Um, also in that, uh, from her team, uh, Trista Feda, really good point guard from that Notre Dame team. She's headed to Illinois State. Uh, Shea Kelly, who is having an outstanding season already for Brookfield East. I'm committed currently, but she has a number of very good options. Gabby Wilkie is headed to South Dakota. Kelly Pepper, Pepler, who uh, is on that Hortonville team that I picked number one to start the season. She is 
still out uh, rehabbing that uh, ACL, but she's expected to be back uh, fairly soon for the uh, Polar Bears. Also, Elena West from Madison LaFollette. She's headed to DePaul. A couple others to note, Allie Tim uh, from DSHA. She's also going to DePaul. And then a D2 one to mention is uh, Sydney Turney, who uh, led the state last season. She's going to uh, D2 Grand Valley State in Michigan. Again, an incredible depth of, of talent and elite talent, <clears throat> excuse me, in the class of 2024. What are some of the younger kids, uh, juniors, sophomores, maybe even freshmen, that have kind of elevated themselves into that upper echelon, into you know high major status already? You know, there's there's a lot of very good players from those other classes, but we're going to start with Amy Terrian from Pewaukee. Uh, they've been uh, a state runner-up the last two years in Division Two. She's having an outstanding uh, start to her season. Um, you know, they've already beat uh, Notre Dame and Hortonville. Uh, she put up 36 points in that win over Hortonville. She's just really just scoring, scoring at will. And she, I, I believe she only missed two two shots against uh, Hortonville. So she's just um, having an outstanding start to the year, like I mentioned. McKenna Christian from Hartford, another one of those high-level players from that 2025 class. Rainey Wilson, uh, Hortonville, she's uh, one of those players that can put up 40 any given night. Uh, J.J. Barnes from the Prairie School, another outstanding player from the class. Uh, a few others to mention here. Uh, Christina uh, Omet, uh, she's from uh, Lakeland. She's headed to Lehigh. She's had a game of 37 points already this year, and now without her sister Juliana on the team, she's going to have to put up a few more points per game for them. Uh, Jordan Fenske from uh, Waukesha West, very good player from the class going to Illinois State. Uh, Madison Fitzgibbon from Homestead. Uh, she's got uh, uh, several Division One offers as well, uh, which just hit on a couple more here. Amira Grant from Brown Deer, a uh, very skilled uh, guard uh, that can hit the three ball for them. Uh, Kate McGinnis, she's from Kimberly, who's having a very good start to the year. And uh, she's headed to Belmont. Olivia Olson from Cuba City, let's give her a note because she's really taken a lot more scoring on uh, this season for them. And as we take a look into uh, uh, some of those those sophomore and freshman classes, uh, which first mentioned Natalie Cuso from Arrowhead. Uh, she's had a game of 47 points already this season and a win over Edgewood. Uh, she just put up 30 and a win over Nina. Um, so she's really having an outstanding year to, to start here. Uh, Leah Norton from Shawano. She's uh, uh, really burst on the scene as a freshman. Uh, Samantha Davis, Aquinas, you got to mention her. They're going to, you know, they lost uh, some, a lot of good players from that Aquinas team, but they're always, always strong and, and a reload team. Uh, Giselle Janowski from that Pewaukee squad, another outstanding player. Uh, Arrowhead's got a couple others, Libby Gilmore and Presley Sams, very good sophomores. Maya Kovacic from Brookfield East, give her a mention. Uh, she's going to be important for Brookfield East with Shea Kelly to try to get back to the state tournament. And then uh, we've got to mention the Ketter Hagen twins, Addie and Riley from Oostburg. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to get into a lot of those 2027s later, but uh, Card Carden Pepler from Hortonville, uh, younger sister to Callie and uh, Cami, who won uh, Miss Basketball here a couple of years ago. And Kimberly's got a couple to note as well. Um, Haley Doulis and uh, Ava Van Vondren. And they're, they've already been big players for them already this season. So we're just going to expect a little bit more for them as the season continues. And, and again, there's going to be a lot more names to be talked about later on. 
I feel like we talk about this every year in this preseason preview that we do on the on the podcast. Uh, but I have to ask you, you mentioned uh, Gracie Gresh from Notre Dame, a senior that's committed to Wisconsin, but a lot of really good kids that are not going to Wisconsin. Any inroads, uh, any improvements that that uh, the new staff, uh, second or third year uh, head coach Marissa Mosley uh, is making in the state? Any more chances that those kids are going to be staying home and playing for the Badgers, uh, or you know, where where's things going? I guess with in-state recruiting as it uh, as it applies to the University of Wisconsin. Well, they're not getting kids, so I mean, you can't say that they're they're doing great when it comes to getting the talent. Because again, there's there's plenty of players. Uh, you know, sometimes you're you're not going to get all the good players, of course, but uh, we got to try to get some, find some way to get some of these in-state kids um, to stay in the state. Because again, there there's not just a couple kids at the top that you got to reach for. Uh, there's plenty to choose from, in my opinion. And right now, I, I don't know that we're necessarily turning a corner, but I think having Grace, Gracie on the team is going to help that. Hopefully she can help change that, uh, the culture on the team as far as uh, the focus more on maybe winning, uh, because it seems lately that it, I mean, while, you know, I'm not saying they're not trying to win, but they're not bringing, bringing in winners and usually got to bring in winners to kind of change that and become more of a winning program. But you know, they are offering those kids in the younger classes, so hopefully they can continue to recruit them hard so they can commit when they get a little bit older. But, you know, right now uh, the kids are just leaving the state. You know, they're going to Michigan State like uh, the Terrian twins are. You know, they're going to Iowa like uh, Tegan Mullaney and Taylor Stremlow. So right now it's really not looking great as far as getting that in-state talent. And of course, we we love the fact that there are some very good women's basketball programs in the state of Wisconsin. UW Green Bay has a great history, of course, under Kevin Borseth. Uh, Marquette had an outstanding <coughs> season last year. Excuse me. UW Milwaukee has made some uh, some really good improvements in in doing some really good things. But I think I, I just think the if if women's basketball at the University of Wisconsin would improve. I think it would uh, do leaps and bounds for kind of how how things are going in basketball in general, in in the girls' side and the youth side in the state of Wisconsin. Um, you know, we we hoped and had thought that perhaps a kid like Maddie Wilkie going there a couple of years ago would you know kind of light that fire. And, and there were some other kids that had gone to Wisconsin. Unfortunately, Maddie left after I think it was just one year and is out at uh, is it Utah or BYU? Oh. She's she's at. Utah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see, it remains to be seen. Uh, we've, we've seen, uh, Bobby Kelsey come in and, and, you know, the in-state recruiting wasn't great. Um, you know, a couple of coaches since then that, that just haven't been able to keep that top talent home, unfortunately, over the years. So hopefully, hopefully it will, uh, it will improve. And of course, winning is one of the biggest things that you can do to improve you know, the, the viewpoint of the in-state recruiting and the in-state recruits, um, Wisconsin has, has done, you know, some things and, and, uh, has shown some signs, you know, end of last year, uh, you know, a decent start this year that, you know, if they can win, it will certainly help things out from that perspective. Well, Norb, uh, in addition to top players, one of the things that we always talk about every year that is very impactful at the high school level are, teams that have 
change divisions, either going up or down, and how that can change fortunes and, and move things. Uh, and then also how the playoffs are uh, aligned in terms of sectionals and drawing those sectional groupings uh, can always have a, a very big impact on you know, what teams get to state and how they're, how they get there and who they play along the way. Um, you know, sometimes the, the best teams get separated and that can, uh, you know, be a, a good thing. I think most people would agree. So anything divisional changes or sectional changes this year that are really noteworthy as we, you know, eventually will start turning our attention to the playoffs. Yeah, there's uh there's several, several changes that are noteworthy here. Uh, Cutter Moraine, who has won the last two uh, Division I state titles, uh, they moved to Sectional 3 this year. That really opens things up in Sectional 4. Um, there's really probably, you know, three or four teams maybe even that, that could get to the state tournament. You know, it could be like an Oak Creek team that, you know, they might not have a great record at the end of the year, but they always play good teams, so they're always going to be prepared. And they started off the season scoring the ball a little bit, a little bit better, but with Franklin's also in the mix, but they're going to be – have their their point guard Natalie Moe is going to be out for about half the season or more, so that really kind of hurts Sima quite a bit. So that made things very interesting in that sectional. Um, just Division One in a whole. There's a few other changes, um, but uh, I think that was probably the biggest one there. And when you talk about Division Two, uh, Pius uh, or D Division Sectional Four in Division Two, excuse me, is open things up for Pius maybe to get back to the state tournament, maybe a Wisconsin Lutheran. Uh, Wabotosi East is having a good start to the year um, as Pewaukee, New Berlin West, and uh, New Berlin Eisenhower, I believe they all moved to sectional two this year, which really uh, Notre Dame moved to sectional one. So it didn't really change too much as far as the outlook in sectional play. But uh, that does change the outlook in, in, in uh, sectional one, though, when you have a team like Lakeland that, that reached the state tournament last year, maybe like a, a Menominee that you reached the state uh, a couple years ago, now it really hurts their chances to get back to the state tournament. Uh, in Division Three, uh, Aquinas actually uh, chose to move up to Division Three. They would have been in Division Four had they uh, decided to stay with their enrollment. But, you know, with them moving up to Division three, you know, that makes things a little more challenging for some of those teams in division three, when you're talking about like maybe an elk bound or a uh, Prescott in that sectional. Um, and in division five, I think that's probably the next biggest noteworthy one assumption moved from sectional two to sectional four. And that sectional four now has, I believe it was four teams ranked in my top 10 to start the year. So that really made things very difficult. Randolph, coming back down to division five and they're also in that sectional. So, you know, there's definitely a few changes here and, you know, a few division divisional movement that are going to affect things when it comes to playoff time. We will uh, talk more about some of the divisions and, and preview each division in just a little bit, but we have had some games played this year. Obviously we uh, girls basketball, like I said, the, the games have been going for three or four weeks now. Um, we had some great games at some of the holiday tournaments over the Thanksgiving break. We've had some incredible non-conference games already, including uh, Pewaukee opening with a, a really tough stretch that they got wins in all of them of Notre Dame, Hortonville and Brookfield East all away from home. Um, but are there any any early season surprises as you look over uh, the landscape so far? Either teams that are you know looking pretty good, maybe have pulled an upset. Anything stand out so far in the first roughly you know month of the season? You know, I think it just shows some of those 
uh, those teams that I think were expected to be good are maybe just as good or better than I expected to start the year. You know, you look at maybe like a Arrowhead. Uh, while I knew that they were going to be good this year, you know, they had three uh, freshmen starting, I believe, last season. But they just are, um, you know, when you pick up a nice win over Nina, who was ranked number one uh, this week, they were uh, Arrowhead was too. But, you know, I think just how good they are and how good Natalie uh, Cuso is to start the year, I think is really just so important for them. Um, as far as other divisions go, uh, you know, Beaver Dam without Maddie, uh, excuse me, without Gabby Wilkie to start the year, they're off to a very good start. Um, you know, uh, Watertown, while they have some losses, they did beat uh, MG to start the year. Um, uh, maybe a bit of su surprise in that MG loss, but MG did, uh, Monona Grove did beat uh, Pius at that uh, Kettle Moraine Thanksgiving Classic. Uh, you know, uh, Catholic Memorial, I think, is a team that, uh, while uh, I expected them to be good, I don't know if I expected them to be this good this quick. Um, you know, returned a lot of kids, but they're off, off to a very good start. Edgewood's uh, played some good teams. Not may maybe that's surprising, but like that's just how they are. You know, Coach Stav always plays good teams in non-conference play. Um, you know, it's as far as the rest goes, I don't think there's too many other surprises in Division Four and Five. I think we're kind of where we kind of expected to be at at this point. And as we get into conference play a little bit more for them, I think we're going to see you know maybe who's going to uh, rise to the top in those those occasions. All right, before we get into divisional previews, let's remind everybody out there to help save lives on Wisconsin roads. The life you save might just be yours. Make the commitment to yourself and passengers that are with you by buckling up and putting the phone down every trip, every time. To find out more, take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov. Well, Norb, let's get into some of uh, some of the, the divisions specifically, and we will start with the biggest division in the state, uh, Division One. Kettle Moraine, as you mentioned, a two-time defending state champion in D1. Uh, Nina had occupied the number one spot most recently in the coaches poll um, this week. But as you said, Arrowhead took down Nina in a very close game that you were uh, at earlier this week. So as we look over Division One, what are we what are we looking at? What are we thinking? You know, what's the overall depth of that division like this year? Do you think? You know, I think there's good depth in Division One. I, you know, I you got to start with the FBA because right now that's just uh, where you know the majority of the good teams live. Uh, you talk about Hortonville, Nina, uh, Kimberly, Oshkosh West is having a good start. Appleton East is having a good start to the year. Um, but you know, I think when it comes to unfortunately having Hortonville and Nina in the same sectional um, is gonna, you know, we're not gonna get to see both of them at the state tournament. I think. Hortonville's overall depth once once they get Kelly Pepler back is going to be maybe a bit too much for Nina and uh, Ali Zabel, but you know Zabel could put up fifty in that game possibly, and uh, you know it's going to be still tough to beat them. Um, you know, in in that sectional with because uh, Arrowhead is going to have to deal with Brookfield East and Verona, I believe, in their sectional, and that's really going to make things interesting. And you know, Kimberly with with that young talent I talked about earlier, and let and then led by that junior uh, guard Kate McGinnis. You know, they could also get to the state tournament last year. They, I think they reached the sectional final and they were, uh, I think they finished sixth in the FBA. So I think there's definitely very good overall depth. It just, it's really just unfortunate that though the sectionals aren't very, uh, uh, they're not very even up when it comes to the top level of talent. All right. Division one, again, like you said, a lot of the, the talent up in that Fox Valley area and just. You know, some pretty good teams all around. Division two, really the last few years, uh, has been dominated by a few teams. We had a great run by Beaver Dam, of course, 
Uh, was it two or three they won in a row, uh, not counting the, the COVID year? Three. three in a row and, and would have been four potentially uh, with the, the COVID season and cancellation. Uh, but more recently, it's been Notre Dame with three straight titles. Pewaukee has been a dominating fixture in Division Two as well. But you also have teams like McFarland, as you talked about earlier, Tegan Malegny, uh, just lighting things up in a very talented squad there. Um, are, are we are we pointed towards another Pewaukee Notre Dame showdown for best team in the state state championship? Yes, I, I believe we are. Uh, the way Pewaukee's playing right now, you know, I, I think they're the best. You know, I, they've already beat the best, so I think they've proven that they're the best in the state, regardless of division. And uh, right now, at least, but you know, when he gets to the state tournament and those two teams match up, it, it's probably going to be difficult uh, to pick against Notre Dame. But, you know, I, they definitely are the cream of the crop. And I do expect them a rematch in the state championship game, uh, which would be the third time in a row. Uh, you know, it, it should be very interesting, interesting in the McFarland sectional when they got to deal with Monona Grove, uh, you know, uh, some other uh, fairly good teams in there as well. And then, like I mentioned, sectional four is really going to open things up. Uh, could give Pius a chance to get back to the state tournament. Wisconsin Lutheran uh, could also get there. They've already beat uh, Pius this season, uh, so that's a, a nice win for them. Uh, Whitefish Bay's got some young talent that they should improve as the season goes on as well, and maybe make a push in that sectional. But you know, a couple of those those sectionals are pretty uh, pretty clear uh, favorites. As I was getting prepped for today's uh, podcast, I was just taking a look over Pewaukee's schedule, and holy smokes, uh, as I mentioned earlier, yeah. they, they had three games away from home in a row to open the year against Notre Dame, Hortonville, and Brookfield East. They have uh, Homestead coming up this weekend. They have McFarland coming up before Christmas. They have uh, a Kimberly tournament coming up where they'll play Oak Creek, pretty solid squad. They close the year against Arrowhead. They still have, I think, uh, a couple uh, TBD games in there. They've got an out-of-state game against an Illinois team. Um, just an, an incredible schedule that they have put together. Uh, is that, you know, their, their conference schedule maybe isn't quite as tough as like a FBA team, for instance. But overall, up and down, I mean, does Pewaukee have the toughest schedule in the state, do you think? I would probably say yes. I think their flexibility, given, you know, they can play so many non-conference games compared to the FBA, that obviously helps them. But you know, uh, I, I think overall that, you know, given the FBA, how deep it is, I'd still probably take Pewaukee just because they've not only played, you know, even a New Berlin Eisenhower this year might not get a ton of wins, but it's always going to be a tough battle. New Berlin West isn't, isn't going to be a slouch. So, you know, they still play some pretty good teams in that league, even though the league might be a little bit down this year. And then like you, like you've already mentioned all those non-conference games, they're playing the best of the best. And, uh, Coach Reuter knows that you got to play the best of the best to uh, to beat the best, like a uh, beat to beat Notre Dame at the state tournament. So you know that's why they play those games. All right, Division Two, uh, some familiar names at the top, uh, as as uh, as it seems to be quite often. Division Three. Last year we saw Kiwaskum claim the state championship in Division Three as they uh, they took down uh, Milwaukee Academy of Science in the championship game as we look over at least the the current coaches poll neither kiwaskum nor academy of science is in the rankings the top ranked team is wapan uh you've also got some pretty good teams out of the uh, east central classic in there uh with uh kind of moraine in the top five and kiwaskum's in that league as well you mentioned aquinas moves up to d3 this year 
uh, is it a, a pretty open race in D3, do you think? And, and what are some of the top teams that you'll have a chance to, to take home some hardware? You know, I think it's fairly even. It's I think what Pawn is still a clear one, but, you know, they're a beatable team. Um, but, you know, it, if they're running correctly, they're a very tough team to beat, though. I mean, they've lost to a – I think they lost to Verona by a few – maybe 20 points already this year, but Verona has mentioned, you know, they're a top five division one team. So it's not like they don't have a talented roster there. Um, but uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, plenty of other teams, kind of Moraine Lutheran who they've, they beat uh, earlier this year. They got a very talented squad, a very good three point shooting team. Oostberg as, as mentioned, uh, Oostberg and kind of Moraine Lutheran, I believe are in the same sectional, that sectional four, um, which could make things very interesting in sectional play, in a contest between those two teams, um, you know, and, you know, I think the sectional one is wide open as maybe just per usual in, 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 in uh, division three, at least as far as, you know, having a lot of teams in the mix, you know, cause you have a lot of movement in division three with, you know, teams that might play in a larger conference and move down or teams that might play in a smaller conference like Oostberg and move up to division three in the tournament. So, you know, there's just a lot of fluctuation in this sec in this division that really just, I think makes things, uh, a lot more exciting throughout the year, and then especially as you get to the playoffs. I apologize if you had mentioned it in there, but how many, how many of those teams, especially you know, there's a, a bunch of East Central teams that are really good, and Oostburg's a top five team. How many of those are they all in the same sectional? Uh, Xavier, Freedom, that that whole group, or are they kind of spread out? Xavier and Freedom are together. Uh, Oostburg, Kettle Moraine are together. Wapan is is still in that sectional three that would have Lake Mills in there as well. Lake Mills is off to a bit of a, uh, maybe a rough start, but they do play good teams, but I, they're, they're mixed up fairly well um, in across those divisions though, as sectionals. Gotcha. Interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, it's just, it's, I talked about this, this with Mark in the podcast uh, and, and we were, you know, maybe going to hit on it later, but I'll, I'll mention it now too. You know, it, it seems like a lot of the the issues that people have with the playoffs and how they work, whether it's, you know, complaints about seating or complaints about private schools or complaints about this or that kind of come back to, you know, how those circles are drawn and how sectionals are assigned. Um, you know, does it does it seem like that, you know, kind of ends up being a lot of the the consternation is is actually how those sectionals are placed sometimes. Yeah, I think so. And like, you know, when you, when you know that X school is driving past you to go a different direction um, and play a game when you could have been just going that direction and maybe, you know, those teams that, that just always seem to go a different direction, you know, like Hortonville did for a number of years in division two, before they moved up to D one, they just seemed to always get moved to sectional one in division two and, you know, that definitely didn't make a lot of coaches very happy in Division Two because it really just made their path a lot easier than others. And, you know, I think that is the same case in other divisions as well. It's, you know, what, what's the why is the reason for this? And and maybe in, in some situations, it's like, why are we not the team that's that's moved this way? Or, you know, and, you know, I think the coaches would like a little bit more of a, uh, a say or at least a understanding of why those things happen and and. And, you know, obviously they, they'd rather have the best teams at state, but that's that's going to be a battle that's probably not going to be won. Well, I think what every coach wants is the easiest path to state <laughs> to, to get oh, to sure, the state right. tournament um, with the shortest travel distance, of course, as well. Um, 
you know, it's, it's interesting as I had talked about with Mark also, um, you know, there's, but again, this is a, a age old issue of how those groupings are drawn. And a few years ago, the basketball coaches really, you know, made a point of it to request the WIAA review that, and it'll be a little more flexible of moving teams around. Um, you know, and, and I think the last couple of years we have seen that where some teams have been moved differently than maybe they have in the past. And there's been a little bit more shuffling every couple of years. Um, but as you said, then, you know, it, it becomes, well, why didn't I get moved or why did this right. team get moved in by me or whatever? So it's, it's, it's a little bit of a losing battle, unfortunately. Um, but just kind of, kind of how it is. Um, so division three, uh, let's move on to division four where, as you said, one of the powerhouses over the last few years, Aquinas has moved up to Division Three, but we do have the defending state champions back. They are top-ranked in Division Four currently, the Laconia Spartans. Um, the uh, defending Division Five state champions, McDonald Central, move up to Division Four. So, you know, we, we get a little bit of a crowded uh, field in Division Four, but is Laconia a pretty strong favorite to repeat in that division. Yeah. I mean, despite having, I think a very good field in division four, I, they, they are definitely the clear favorite of, you know, they returned uh, just about their whole squad and, and added uh, another uh, Morgan to the squad. Uh, that's uh, Peyton Morgan, the junior on the squad, uh, her sister Finley and add that with Tyr- tyranny Madigan and, and company with that squad. You know, they're just so deep, you know, when they play eight deep and they're all, uh, capable players to make the three. They just make, you know, and they play good teams. They've already beat Oostburg. They beat Watertown. Uh, they beat a, a couple other very good teams as well to start the year. So, you know, they have a, a path to get to the state tournament, obviously, and it's it's pretty clear for them. Um, they did move sectionals to sectional uh, two this year, I believe. Uh, they were in sectional four. Um, that opens the door for the Prairie School, who, who uh, Laconia beat in a sectional final. Uh, the Prairie School led by J.J. Barnes, a Division One prospect. And, you know, that's that's good news for them. And, again, good news for the division. I think getting the best, hopefully getting the best teams at the state tournament. Um, Nielsville, all, all Westfield, they're going to be in the mix in that sectional three. Uh, that includes uh, Cuba City, New Glarus. Cuba City um, did have one of their player juniors not come out, but you still got Olivia Olson. I think you can piece around them. But that's still going to be a tough go in that sectional number three. But the Prairie School, as mentioned, I think they are the clear favorite in division in uh, sectional four. McDonald Central, um, again, champions in D5 last year, move up to D4. Are they in that sectional one, the kind of northwest sectional? Yeah, Nielsville moved out of that. Colfax and, and Fall Creek are the next probably next two best teams, but they're the clear favorite in there. They they returned a good portion of their roster, um, so they're, they're going to be a tough team to beat. All right, let's turn our attention to Division 5, where, again, we will have a new champion in D5 as last year's champ, McDonald Central, moves up. Uh, as you said, Randolph does move down. Assumption won a state title a couple of years ago. They're the top-ranked team in Division 5 currently. Uh, and we're the top-ranked team in your preseason rankings. What are we looking at in Division Five? Where right now the top four teams are all undefeated. The top four teams in the coaches' poll, that is, are all undefeated. But then you look down the rankings a little bit. There's a couple three-loss teams in the rankings. You've got Wabino Leona with a couple losses. So a little bit of a, a, a delineation between 
again, some some really undefeated, good undefeated teams and some teams that maybe have taken a couple lumps that you know still are expected to be pretty good. Yeah, uh, th- those teams at the top, you know, it's uh, I don't know that they I wouldn't say that they played maybe the tough as tough of a schedule as some of those teams farther down. Assumption did get a very nice win over Phillips and Phillips uh, beat up uh, Athens pretty good. And I think it's really just showing, uh, you know, basketball is a guards game, as we know. And I think Athens is struggling a bit in the guard play. And that's, I think, what's led them to having three losses already this year. Um, but, you know, they can slow the game down, no shot clock, so they can slow it down in the postseason if they get a win, a lead and maybe squeak out a win. But it's going to be challenging against against some of those better squads. But, you know, uh, Athens it would uh, most likely go up to against Wabino-Leona. Uh, those teams are in sectional, uh, sectional two now that Assumption moved to sectional four. So, you know, even though that they might have a few losses, they, they certainly have a chance to get to the state tournament. And, you know, uh, Albany, who uh, played by themselves last year, now they are co-opted with Monticello, um, and they added a couple players from that team that should help them out. You know, they they went undefeated before the state tournament last year, and then uh, McDonald Central let them have it at the state tournament. But, you know, this year I think they're going to be more prepared for, uh, the, not just prepared for a deep run, but if they get to the state tournament. But, uh, you know, I, I, sh- I shouldn't get ahead of myself there because they are in the same sectional as Assumption and Randolph and Lourdes Academy and Oakfield and Oakfield reached a sectional final last year. So that, that is going to be a very difficult, difficult sectional, but I think assumption is the clear favorite still given, given, uh, you know, the players that are returning, you know, again, they're a deep team, play a, a very good defense, can hit the three ball. And those things are usually are a good recipe to, to reach a state tournament and hoist a gold ball, a gold ball at the end of the year. All right, so we've got our look at each of the divisions. We've uh, taken a look at some of the top players, some of the divisional and sectional changes that are impactful, as well as some uh, some early season notes. Uh, let's talk about coaching changes. Uh, it's always you know a, a pretty decent amount of turnover. Do you know, uh, Norb, offhand, roughly how many coaching changes there were this year and how that might compare to to previous years? Yeah, I just made it. I checked before we started. Actually, there's 101 that I have to count this year, and that's a little bit above the the 11 year average that I've have tallied it's about 95 or so per year since I started uh tallying those back in 2013 um so it, it's you know a little above the average but the last 3 years we're probably looking at about about uh, 98 or 99 so I guess it has been about the same the last couple of years no matter how you slice it it's a, a bigger number than we would exactly. like I think um you know, and I think one thing to so, note with, with that number is I think, you know, while there's about 95 per year in the last 10 years, I would guess, and I, I need to put this out to have it exact on it, but that a good portion of that number is, you know, 70 of those teams or so it's a coaching change every one to three years. And that's, you know, very difficult to win. And and I believe it was Southwestern that has now had, uh, is it eight coaches in the last 11 years? And it's tough to win basketball games when you have coach a new coach every year. No doubt, no doubt. Uh, coaching changes and, and the challenges of coaching certainly one of the you know the the challenges facing high school basketball and high school girls basketball. I, I think we have have talked about this for quite a while now, but I think it's something that really is becoming much more prevalent and much more at the forefront. Is some concerning. Uh, declines, I think, in participation 
in girls basketball at the high school level and even you know down into the youth levels now where we are seeing as you have noted uh over the last month or two you know a number of programs that have had to drop their varsity program uh, including some pretty big schools some schools that have co-opt that you wouldn't normally expect some schools that had to cancel that have had you know good amount of success in recent years challenges with lower level uh participation even at bigger schools um you know i don't yeah i, I don't I can, know I it'd be interesting to see it'd be interesting to see a survey of you know how many schools even have a freshman team i don't even know you know if it's a quarter of them but it's not that Maybe. I was going to make note of that. Even in the FBA, I believe there's only two freshman teams. Yeah, uh, just not not a good trend. And we've talked about the reasons why at different times. And, and you know, I just don't know. I don't know where to go. I, I don't know where we go with it and where, you know, high school basketball and, and basketball as a community goes with it. But just interested in your thoughts in general on that that topic um, what you're seeing, what you're hearing, and if there are any, you know, possible solutions that we should, we as a, a again, a, a basketball community as a whole, whether it's the WIAA, the WBCA, youth coaches, high school coaches, fans, whatever, that we should be looking into to try to get this turned around. Yeah, I think that's, that's something that uh, we're all, all trying to kind of figure out right now, to be honest. It's, it's, you know, Club sports do affect things, especially club volleyball uh, being uh, in during the basketball season. That that's probably number one on the list. But but I I do also think that um, you know while club sports are beneficial to kids, especially the high level kids, I think some of that has also affected kids not wanting to play freshman basketball. You know, it's rather be on JV, and if you if you're on JV, why am why aren't I on, on varsity? And I think. Those things have have uh, made challenges for coaches and just challenges for the kids and families as well because you know sometimes it's unfortunate tunnel vision and then we're losing those kids uh, in seventh or eighth grade when we we'd love to see them playing freshman basketball and can continue to compete because there's plenty of those kids that that can be very good varsity players. We should note that there. Um... There is some work being done by the Wisconsin Basketball Coaches Association uh, with a, a group trying to gather information, trying to gather data uh, on on this issue to determine what next steps might be. Um, because I, I think if if there was you know good, easy answers, I think we would have uh, found a, found a way to get those in place. Um, but it's a very layered, nuanced, uh, complicated, complex issue. Uh, but certainly, I think, I think everyone would agree is an issue. But the question becomes, what do we do about it? Because um, that's that's the hard part. Um, you know, not not the not the kind of thing that we would prefer to talk about. Some of the challenges that that are being faced, but I think it's a significant and important one for us to note. Uh, yeah, and I will make note too. And I, obviously, I didn't mention this, but specialization is obviously a big part of that too. You know. We don't see kids playing multiple sports and, you know, that's something that we'd obviously love to see more of, but it is challenging for those kids because they, they don't have a whole lot of time to be kids much anymore. Absolutely. And uh, another thing that I, I, I think we are, uh, we, we do need to hit on at least is some discussions that have, have occurred 
over, especially heated up over the last year or so regarding, uh, you know, the structure of the high school basketball game. There was a rule change um, this year that uh, really brought to the forefront the fact that Wisconsin is one of, I believe, only two states in the country that plays halves and not quarters at the high school level. Uh, women's basketball at the college level plays quarters. There was a uh, survey and discussions from the Basketball Coaches Association about the use of quarters versus the use of halves. Um, just interested in your thoughts on on that quarters versus halves issue and also you know what what you hear from coaches on the benefits of of one or the other because it is an issue that that is continuing um, that will continue to garner discussion and, and could come back around very easily next year as we look at playing rules and and uh, how how the game works. You know, uh, since we've had have for so long, you know, I love the flow of the game in halves. I think that's, you know, something that the coaches really like too. Um, but I think right now, and it's a thing where I'm not really a, much of a fan of shooting all those free throws um, at the end of a, you know, it could be double bonus, you know, with 10 minutes to go and a half. And I think that's where having quarters would be beneficial because um, then you could uh, go in and, and, you know, reset after the quarter like college do. Um, but, uh, you know, we're also losing two minutes of each game that were well, four minutes of each game. Correct. Uh, if we go back to two quarters and, you know, when you fight so hard to, to get those extra minutes, so you have extra minutes, you know, to play more players, um, you know, we're, we're losing them and that's going to affect things as well. So I think, you know, in the end, I think, you know, as long as, you know, I think probably what, something you don't want to talk about the shot clock, I think would help that as well. Um, in quarters, but, uh, you know, I, I guess I would just be fine with going back to quarters just because it, it's something that, um, you know, they do at the next level. So it, I don't see an issue with it, but obviously the flow of the game, I don't want to see two minutes of stoppage or a minute of stoppage before the end of the third quarter end of the first quarter and things like that, that really just doesn't help the game. And again, you know, when you're playing halves, that's a lot of free throws and I would love to not have to, uh, have teams shoot that many free throws, especially midway into a half. Just because I, I don't favor shot clock doesn't mean I don't <laughs> want to talk about it. Well, yeah, uh, fact, <laughs> <laughs> well it, that was going to be my next question because that is um, a, a different issue, but I think they could be tied together because I, I do feel like if you're going to go to quarters, right. Um, you know, I think, I, I think you bring back into play the, the two arbitrary stoppages, which essentially, can almost take two minutes off of the game there right, because most teams are going right. to stall. Yeah. Most of the teams are going to stall the last minute of a quarter. Um, so you're actually losing even more game time from that perspective. Um, the, the most recent uh, discussion and, and uh, survey conducted by the WBCA around the shot clock was done in December of 2022, where uh, they surveyed schools and this was um this was a school survey. It's important to note, not necessarily a coach survey um, because the, the coaches views in the schools and in the administrator views are different on this issue. I believe the last uh, coach survey was around 56 or 60% favored a shot clock. I want to say, but then if we look at the uh, school survey, and of course, we always have to remember that the schools themselves and, you know, through the administrators and athletic directors are the ones that actually make the rules. The school survey showed about 50 or excuse me, 45 percent in favor 
compared to a 54, 55% against. So shot clock thoughts. And, and do you think, you know, it, it can and should be tied in with a conversation around quarters? Yeah, I think so. Cause I think that would help alleviate that, that uh, minute of stoppage too. I mean, that's something that you could talk about, but also I, I really, and it might be a bit of a selfishness, I guess, maybe in a, in a sense, I don't, I guess have the right word for it right now, but at the end of a game, when a team's down by five points with a minute and a half to go, like they don't have to sit there and follow, they could play out a possession. You could play, but play defense. And I think it puts a, maybe a little bit more on coaches in these games, but I think it's, it, it would make the game better and especially better at the end of games. And, you know, when you're talking about high level basketball, high level, end of each game i think it would make things a lot more exciting and a, be a benefit for the game and and a benefit for the players competing in those games going back uh, a little bit to the the quarters conversation when the wbca surveyed on halves versus quarters that was earlier this year uh there was a pretty significant discrepancy between how the boys coaches viewed that and the girls coaches viewed that uh the boys coaches favored staying with halves by 79%, uh, 79% favored staying in halves. On the girls' side, 53% favored staying with halves. Um, I, I was a little surprised at the, the, the margin between those two. I thought girls' coaches, excuse me, would be more in favor of, of quarters um, compared to the boys, but I, I was surprised at that significant margin. Do you think that, excuse me, um, lies most uh, directly to the, the women's college game using quarters and just, you know, how, how the girls' coaches view and compare it to that? Or is there something else that might come into play in terms of why the, the large difference between boys' and girls' thoughts on halves versus quarters? You know, it's probably a lot to do with, you know, the college game playing quarters. And, you know, there, there could also just be uh, – you know, just some of those other factors coming into play, I suppose. Uh, maybe they they view those end of end of quarters as, as another uh, teaching moment without having to use a timeout. You know, you do have that opportunity then. Um, you know, there are uh, some bonuses, obviously, playing quarters. But I'm not for sure as to why that number is so different than the other. But, um, you know, it, it probably just does, like I mentioned, points back to the women's game and aligning with that game. All right. Before we uh, before we let you go, Norb, uh, anything else um, newsworthy, noteworthy as we get the season started or that we will be following over the course of the season before we wrap up uh, this girls basketball preview edition of the podcast? Anything we didn't get a chance to touch on or that you wanted to make sure that uh, that we highlighted as well? Well, we uh, I know we got started talking about the coaching changes, but I just want to note a couple new coaches this year. Uh, Janelle McCarvel is the new head coach at Stevens Point. As we know, uh, played at Stevens Point, number one overall pick, uh, played a long WNBA career, WNBA champion. Uh, Lexi Richardson, who played at Verona, is now the head coach at Verona. She replaces Angie Murphy, who was there, uh, Her was her coach. And then, you know, she played under Angie um, and was an assistant under Angie as well. So it's uh, changing the guard there at uh, Verona. Um, so, yeah, those are the two notable ones I just wanted to make sure to hit on. And uh, speaking of Janelle McCarvel, I was talking to a parent from Stevens Point, and, and they're one of those teams that maybe surprisingly has pretty low numbers in their program. I, I believe they only have two levels 
I don't, I can't remember if they're playing a JV or a freshman schedule, but uh, just two levels at Stevens Point with a number one overall pick as uh, as the head coach. So, again, just kind of highlights uh, some of the challenges of uh, participation right now in, in girls hoops. Um, well, Norb, uh, certainly good stuff. Uh, Norb's had uh, a number of uh, of conference previews and and preseason content that has come out over the last month. So make sure you're checking that out. Um, Norb, give us a, a hit on kind of the, the regular stuff that will be out over the course of the season as well that people can expect over the next couple months. Yeah, along with, you know, the coaches poll that'll be out weekly, you know, I'll be hitting on, you know, some of those uh, top performers each week. We'll get some uh, weekend previews out, um, you know, things like that as we as we go, get into the year. Then we'll be, you know, still talking about maybe, uh, you know, Miss Basketball, things like that. And we'll, we'll we'll just say Ali Zabel is the clear favorite for Miss Basketball, but there, there is a lot of very good players in the class. And, you know, it's before long, we're going to be uh, hitting January and talking about the back end of a schedule, uh, a conference schedule too. So, you know, there's going to be a lot to talk about throughout the year. So make sure to be uh, hitting up with sports.net on a daily basis. All right. Good stuff as always from Norb. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Norbert Durst. And as he said, there's uh, all kinds of new content coming out all the time on Wisports.net. Before we sign off, let's remind everybody out there one more time to help save lives on Wisconsin roads. The life you save might just be yours. Make the commitment to yourself and passengers that are with you by buckling up and putting the phone down every trip, every time. To find out more, take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov. Of course, this is also, uh, we're not very far away from that Christmas uh, holiday tournament season, and Norb will have some updates and, and schedules on what's going on with that as well. Um, so all kinds of uh, girls basketball content that will be coming out. And as we always do, encourage you to get out to a game and support the teams and players in your area. We talked about so many high-level teams and elite-level players in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, you can you can get out and, and get to a really good game with some really good players uh, pretty easily. So certainly encourage everyone to take advantage of that. That will do it for today, though. This has been a special episode of the WSN podcast previewing the girls' basketball season with Norbert Durst. I am Travis Wilson. We'll see you at a game.